you're a California conservative, a libertarian, a moderate Democrat, believe in common sense, or just a sane person, this is the political podcast for you. It's the California Underground Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the California Underground Podcast. We're off for a week. I was out traveling, so I apologize if there was no podcast last week, but we're back this week and we have a lot to talk about it. I know I say that pretty much every time that we do a podcast, but there's always just so much going on in the news between the national news and what's going on in California. So with that, let's get right into it and right out of the gate. Our topic of out of the gate is they will not stop trying to silence their opposition. In all the craziness of this past week, one story stuck out to me as being more foreboding and terrifying than whether or not Aunt Becky's daughter bribed her way into college. The story I'm speaking about is the story involving Tucker Carlson, Media Matters, and their attempt to try and bring him down. Media Matters attempted to bring Tucker down by dredging up some old audio of Tucker saying some crude things on a comedy show called, quote, Baba the Love Sponge, unquote. Were they a little crude? Maybe, if you have a sensitive stomach to crude comedy, but it's nothing out of the realm of decency in today's society. It should definitely not be crude to a political ideology that promotes transgenderism and child drag queens dancing in the bars of New York City. You're not fooling anyone by clutching your pearls and feigning horror over something Tucker said a decade ago. You're using it for one purpose, to advance a political agenda. And therein lies the rub of what's going on here. Now, just in this past week, our Instagram was taken down for supposedly violating community guidelines. They never offered an explanation, just like that out of the blue, my account was disabled. Luckily, I followed through their process of verification soon if I was back on Instagram. Of course, this may not seem like a big deal for an Instagram with a small following at this moment, but extrapolate that to thousands of conservative voices out there on social media who are just getting started like we are. It's hard to de-platform big accounts with hundreds of thousands of followers. Look at the blowback social media got by de-platforming Alex Jones. You made him a martyr. You exposed your biased agenda. But little accounts? Now that's a whole different story. You can de-platform those accounts and no one would really notice. Do that to thousands of small accounts and you essentially quell any entire or grassroots movements of anti-left voices making it even harder for people to get the word out. Now, 2016 caught the establishment by surprise. They never suspected that a woman who was preordained to be president would lose to a political neophyte who was a master of social media. They also did not suspect that an army of online warriors would be spreading information far and wide using social media to vote for this political neophyte. But back to Tucker. In his opening monologue after the incident, he boldly looked into the camera and unapologetically said to his viewers, we will not bow to the mob, ever. They are going to push hard in 2020 to control the narrative, even more than they have been. They will throw everything at us to silence dissent. It is our duty to ensure that we follow the example set by Tucker Carlson, that we will not bow to the mob, ever. Not in our homes, our workplaces, our schools, our grocery stores, our places of gathering, our social gatherings. We will not feel pressure to give in and be silenced. Because silence is the ultimate goal. And if we continue to allow them to silence us, then not only is 2020 lost, 
but everything we stand for from here on out is also lost. Uh, we're going to jump right into the national news of what's going on because uh, we're also going to talk about what's going on with Gavin Newsom and the death penalty. And we're going to link the two of what's going on in the national news and what's going on in California with this uh, death penalty and his executive order. But as the big news was this week, uh, the national emergency order by President Trump that was issued, uh, there was a resolution that was passed by both the House and the Senate. Um, because a whole bunch of 12 Demo- or twelve Republicans flipped over and supported the Democrats. Resolution was ultimately vetoed, of course, by President Trump, and it doesn't look like it's going to go much farther than that because they would have to get two-thirds of the House and the Senate to get it to be overturned, but I don't see that happening because they didn't really get close to two-thirds of it right now. Um, an interesting piece in The American Thinker really kind of lays out what the problem is here with these rhinos and shout out to the article that I wrote, uh, this, this past week when I was away, it was called can dino save California. Maybe we'll talk about that in a future podcast, but I really want to get to all this stuff with California and the death penalty and what's going on with Gavin Newsom. Um, if you have a chance and you want to check it out, California underground.wordpress.com, you can go check out the article. It's called dinos. Can they save California? And I'm not talking about dinos like the dinosaurs from Jurassic Park. I'm talking about dinos in the sense of Democrats and name only. But that's a whole different subject. We'll get into it at another time. So this piece is from the American Thinker. It's uh, by Monica Showalter. Um, Just going to read some of it for you and, and go over it. It's called The Senate's Dirty Dozen, doing nothing about the border except obstructing Trump. Call it the procession of the rhinos, call it the dirty dozen standing up to and getting themselves counted. Loaded with piety, tears, and flapdoodle, 12 GOP senators proudly voted to halt President Trump's declaration of a state of emergency at the U.S. border as migrant caravan after migrant caravan after migrant caravan from Central America and beyond prepare to roll into the states through our poorest border and cartel human smugglers prepare for a big cash flow to themselves the better to wreak havoc on Mexico and Central America. Utah Senators Mitt Romney and Mike Lee, Florida Senator Marco Rubio, Missouri Senator Roy Blunt, Tennessee Senator Lamar Alexander, Ohio Senator Rob Portman, Pennsylvania Senator Pat Toomey, Kentucky Senator Rand Paul, Kansas Senator Jerry Moran, Mississippi Senator Roger Wicker, plus the usuals, Maine's Susan Collins, Alaska's Lisa Murkowski, and all their Democratic colleagues in the Senate, very, very happy with that vote cast against the president. Proud of yourselves, Utah? Because they all came out and said that this was an appeal to constitutionalism and an overreach and an abuse of power, which we'll link up to with Gavin Newsom in just a minute, but I want to go through this first, lay it out, and then we're going to go into it. We're going to have a little class on California Constitution. Bet you don't know too much about it, but if you start reading it, it's pretty interesting. Oh, the sudden appeal of the Constitution, she continues. Oh, that sudden concern about separation of powers and an imperial presidency. Oh, those creepy claims to be really, truly, ooly caring about border security as the caravans with the with an S prepare to roll in. Funny that this only came out with this crap when the issue is the President Trump's border wall. Where were they in all their Elmer Gauntry pieties back when President Trump and his recent predecessors declared other states of emergency? Such as the one in the humanitarian crisis in Yemen, or the importance of not doing business in Burundi, or the one about blocking property of bad people running Nicaragua. Because, let's face it, declaring states of emergency is routinely done by presidents these days. 
Somehow he didn't get as loud. In fact, we didn't get any of this talk from them based on what I was able to find, though I wouldn't put it past Rand Paul. No, they decided that now is the time to bring up constitutional separation of powers as the real issue and let what happens happen at the border. Never mind that it's actually an emergency. A Gallup poll of Latin Americans revealed that 5 million people from that region alone are planning to migrate here in this group alone. With just 1 million legal immigration slots available, most would therefore be planning to do it illegally. U.S. immigration law has become an irrelevant detail to them. That's the crisis. The Border Patrol guys see it. They've seen a massive surge in illegal crossing just this year alone. According to left-wing NPR, they're arriving by the busloads in family units in numbers at 10-year high. So as long as the wall isn't there, but it's being talked about and the courts keep thwarting any effort to send illegal border crossers home, while the goodies are being rolled out as incentives from the state, the word is getting out, get in while you can. The time is now. Start the surge. We are looking at a Syria-Iraq-Afghanistan-style human-wave migrant exodus of the kind that rolled into Europe in 2015 and changed the face of Europe. And not particularly for the better, as illiterate, immigrant, illiterate migrants presented big bills to the state while migrant rapes and robberies and killings became normalized, it might be workable if the coming migrants were people with English language skills and enough education to help the country. Congress is the one that has the job of expanding quotas to accommodate that possibility, which is something it won't do. But the ones coming don't have those things. They're coming for the free stuff. Offered as actual enticements to migrate illegally by states such as California. And now these dirty dozen decide that this vote was a good time to have a constitutional debate instead of tens of thousands of unvetted illegal immigrants breach the border? What the heck are they doing about that? The answer? Nothing. They're telling Trump he's on his own, and if the legals flow in, the illegals flow in. Some border concern. All I can say is look at the comments on Romney's pious tweet, explaining himself to constituents. The opponents criticizing are getting likes in the hundreds. The constituents praising him are getting likes that can, well, be counted on one hand. The 12 here aren't horrible people on every issue, but their refusal to back Trump at a critical time is disturbing. Since they're part of the elites who haven't learned the voters' lesson, maybe it's time for the voters to make it more personal for them in the next election. This won't be forgotten. Now, everyone's running around talking about President Trump in this national emergency. All of a sudden, everybody's a constitutional scholar. But... I don't want to reiterate here, if you listen to a lot of other radio programs, they probably all talk about the fact that the National Emergency Act was passed back in the 1970s under President Gerald Ford. Since then, it's been used by presidents and numerous times by presidents. I know that President Obama got into the double digits in the national emergencies. I know that President Clinton got into the double digits. President Bush, I believe, did eight. And this is President Trump's first one. Now, why is this such a big deal? And I've said this before, and we've talked about this before, it's the border wall. And it's not just the border wall, and everyone gets caught up in this whole, well, it's about immigration, it's about immigration. It might be partly about immigration, but we've talked about this before in previous podcasts, about how the, the border wall is a, a monument to the fact that an outsider can come into Washington and change things. They don't want that. If he gets a border wall, if President Trump gets a border wall, you know what that means? That means that every other outsider who is fed up with the way America is being run looks at it and says, well, if I have enough gumption, I have the funding, and I can do it on my own, I can actually get in there and change things. I mean, gosh, the thought that what if what if normal people all of a sudden looked at what President Trump is doing and said, hey, 
I'm an outsider and I want to get into politics and I want to change things at the local level. And what if those politicians turn into statewide leaders? I mean, the horror, all of a sudden you have these, these people who are running for office who are just like you and me. They're just normal, everyday American citizens, you know, represented by the people. What an awful idea. Instead of having these professional politicians up in Washington and Sacramento, you have people who are just normal Americans. And it's an awful idea to a lot of the establishment and the swamp because they don't want to think about the idea that people are going to start doing this. Forget the presidency. The presidency is going to be fought over by, by rich people for a long time to come. But if that wall gets built, it gives people an incentive to look at it as a, a permanent monument to say, look, this guy came out of nowhere and built this wall and did what he did in, in this country. If he could do it, maybe I can do it. Maybe I can go be on my local city council. Maybe I can run for Congress. Look at what happens. All of a sudden, you get people who are looking at saying, oh, I think I can get involved. That's why they don't want the border wall. But the National Emergency, going back to the National Emergency Act, it's been upheld and it's, it hasn't come up to the Supreme Court to my knowledge. And if it was going to be, it would have been brought up already. If you have a problem with the National Emergency, then Congress should really go after the National Emergency Act and not what President Trump is doing. Because it's been used in varying degrees by different presidents, we actually have a national emergency, meaning there's an emergency that's occurring to our nation, um, and they're trying to say it's an overreach. Now, we're going to get into, like I said, we're going to get into why this ties into what's going on right now with Gavin Newsom and uh, the death penalty. We're going to talk about that in a bit. But now, all of a sudden, they're talking about He's, he's a dictator, the imperial presidency, he's just going to do whatever he wants using the National Emergency Act. But con his constitutional lawyers have looked at it and said, look, you have the ability to do this. And keep in mind that this National Emergency Act is only for about 3.5, I think it's about three, around $3.5 billion. That's $3.5 out of the $8 billion that he's found otherwise. That other money, the other four and a half billion dollars that he found, they, they can't hold that up. That's stuff that he's found through budgeting and figuring out that there's money in the Department of Defense that he can move around using the executive power. But this is only about three about $3.5 billion that's being held up. But what, what bothers me is you have people like Rand Paul, and I, I try and give people like Rand Paul a pass. Because he's a libertarian, because he's all, well, I want government to be the size so small that I can drown it in a bathtub kind of guy. And sometimes people like what he says. They like the fact that I agree with him that we shouldn't be continually perpetuating wars in, in other countries. We shouldn't be nation building in other countries. That's not our job anymore. In a world that's supposedly getting more global and homogenous, why are we worried about building other people's countries? If we have all these global initiatives and these global organizations like the UN, why are we worried about building other people's countries? Why are we wasting our tax dollars when we're how many $20 trillion in debt? So he, he kind of gets a pass, but people like Rand Paul get in the way because they stand on their principles and they sit there and they say, well, I'm so big on my principles and the Constitution. This is what it says. Blah, 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 blah. 
I, I understand. I understand you have an issue with the fact that the president was allotted this power and you think it's unconstitutional. I get that. But there are lots of things that, that have been abdicated to the president and the executive branch that should be, quote unquote, unconstitutional if you think that there should be more uh, restriction on the powers of government. There's a lot of things. You know, at this time, where were people, like the article just said, where were all these people all upset when, when these national emergencies were being, being declared under President Obama? Where were they when it was President Clinton or President Bush? No one, there was no resolution in my mind. So you have these Republicans who stand on these principles. Oh, it's it's about over it's about overreaching. It's unconstitutional. It's an abuse of power. Blah 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 blah. Why all of a sudden now? Why all of a sudden now? I mean, you could you would expect Mitt Romney would do it. Mitt Romney is the new John McCain. He just figure, oh, I'm just going to stand up and I'm going to be the new John McCain. And the others, of course, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski. You're going to get the same people over and over again who are rhinos and seem to break with the president every chance they get. But now all of a sudden it's because it's unconstitutional. Which, as we know, right now, it's, it's law. If you have a problem with it, Congress, repeal the law. But they don't want to do that. If they have such a problem with the National Emergency Act, they should repeal it. But they don't want to. Because as you've stated, be careful of what you do. Because if you do this, then the next time we'll just use a national emergency to take away all your guns. And as far as I know, a national emergency cannot be used to take away an unalienable right in the Bill of Rights. I would go, I would go as far to say the National Emergency Act is not going to be able to take away any rights in the Bill of Rights. But they could try. It'd be slapped down in court so fast, but that's why they don't want to get rid of it. Because the hope that someday down the road, Democrat's going to get in the office and he'll be able to use it. It's just it's a political theater now because it's President Trump. But there is an emergency on our border. We, we know that, especially people in California here in Southern California, we do know that. I was reading that uh, there are 14 miles of new wall, 30-foot walls being constructed down here in San Diego. It's those new big steel bollard ones to replace the the fact that we had a wall that was built using old military runways from the Vietnam War. It's just laughable that somebody thought, oh, we're, we're going to build a wall and it's going to be made out of old military runways. Not, we're not just going to build a new wall. We'll just use scraps from the Vietnam War. Excuse me, getting a, getting a drink of coffee. But going along with the whole border crisis and what's going on and why we need a national emergency and why we need to be focusing on border security. It was reading that President Trump told Breitbart News this past Monday that his administration is thinking very seriously about labeling violent Mexican drug cartels or factions of these cartels as foreign terrorist organizations or FTOs. Asked by Deputy Political Editor, editor Amanda House during a wide-ranging exclusive Oval Office interview with Breitbart News whether this administration is considering designating factions of cartels or cartels as a whole as terrorist groups, Trump replied that he is. Quote, we are, we are, President Trump said. 
We're thinking about doing it very seriously. In fact, we've been thinking about it for a long time. It's psychological, but it's also economic. As terrorists, as terrorist organizations, the answer is yes, they are, unquote. Well, the president went on to discuss the violence taking place in Mexico. He said, Mexico, unfortunately, has lost control of the cartels. They've totally lost control of the cartels. Mexico last year had 42,000 deaths, murders, 42,000. It's considered one of the most unsafe countries in the world. He goes on to say, now I'm with them. I really like the new president. He's a wonderful guy. But, you know, 42,000 murders, a lot of it is drug-induced. Recalling his recent trip to a border in January and February, the president commented on how little media attention to the horrors of the border received, stating, quote, when I was down at the border in Rio Grande three weeks ago, they had 26 people killed right near where I was. And it was a gang fight, and they were buried on site. That was right near the area I was at. The papers don't even write about it. You know, did you read about the 26 people killed? You don't even read about it. In a letter to Pompeo, obtained by Breitbart News Organization, Representative Chip Roy of Texas and Representative Dr. Mark Green stated numerous drug cartels employ terrorist tactics that clearly fit this definition, such as Reynoso, Los Metros, faction of the Gulf Cartel, the Cartel del Noreste, faction of Los Etas, the Jalisco New Generation Cartel, offshoot of the Sinaloa Cartel. These groups use terror to intimidate and advance their agenda. They threaten the stability of governments across the globe. Even the United Nations Security Council has recognized the clear link between drug, drug trafficking and terrorism. According to a Congressional Research Service report since 2006, there have been roughly 150,000 organized crime-related killings in Mexico alone. Drug cartels have committed heinous acts of terrorism from carrying out bombings that have killed innocent people, conducting ISIS-style beheadings, assassinating government officials and members of law enforcement, and engaging in torture and indiscriminate murder. So that's what's going on at the border. Obviously, if President Trump does declare uh, what's going on at the border, and he does declare that they are a foreign terrorist organization, that opens up a whole spectrum of what can happen. I've, I'm surprised it hasn't really been done yet. There's been talks about it. I always hear stories about, in, you know, in these movies, you hear stories, oh, well, they've designated drug cartels as terrorist organizations under the Patriot Act or stuff like that. But I'm surprised they haven't been formally recognized as a foreign terrorist organization. Stuff like this would be would definitely open up a lot of the options for the military to go after it uh, for a lot more operations, a lot more cooperation with Mexico. I think there should be a lot more cooperation going on with Mexico. I know that the new president, um, even though he's far left, he actually likes working with President Trump because he knows he's more of a he's a national socialist, not like a Nazi, but he's he wants to help Mexico, but he's far left. Um. And he also wants, he's helping a lot with the immigration that's going on right now. He's helping a lot with stopping people at the border, the southern border. Because he knows that what's going on right now is if you have a lot of immigrants who are coming up through Mexico. He doesn't want them coming up through Mexico and people staying there. And contrary to popular belief, everyone thinks that all these people on the left say, oh, it's because people are brown and we're racist towards them. If you think for a minute that people in Latin America and South America are not racist towards each other based on what country they are, 
then I, I would say you're probably pretty ignorant of the fact that they don't like each other from country to country. If you Do you think just because they're brown from Mexico all the way down to the southern tip of South America, you think just because they're brown that they're going to like each other and that they're going to work with each other and that, they, that Mexico's helping these people? They don't want... If you ever worked with someone from Latin America or Central America and asked them about who they don't like, a lot of people will say, you know, well, I don't like Mexicans or I don't like Puerto Ricans or I don't like this or that. So if you think that we're being racist because we're just saying, well, Mexico needs to help keep people out of Mexico and coming into America, then I think you're just throwing everybody in a pot based on the color of their skin and where they come from and the fact that they speak Spanish. I would argue you're the real racist because you think that they're all the same and that they all get along. It's not true at all. There's varying, there's varying cultures, dialects. There's a whole bunch going on for you to sit there and say, well, it's because you hate them because they're all brown. Mm. Would you say that to Mexico? If Mexico stopped people at the southern border? If Mexico said, well, we're going to stop immigrants from coming in at the southern border. Would you look at Mexico and say, well, you're racist because they're all brown? I don't think that line of reasoning would, would go go pretty far. But anyway, it's it's it would be a big move by the Trump administration if he did this. It would even more... It would bring the idea that there is a national emergency going on. And that's what's really perpetuating this. You have the illegal immigration that's going on, but you also have a lot of the drug cartel problem that's going on. It's a two-pronged, really, issue. Yes, there are people coming out from Central America. But yes, there are also drug cartels who are funneling drugs into the United States, and they're trying to do it all the time. And a lot of apprehensions of thousands of pounds of drugs are found by Border Patrol agents at ports of entry. But how much is smuggled in places where we don't have high surveillance? This is that, That's the national emergency. It's not only the illegal immigration, it's the fact that there are drugs being smuggled into our country, drugs being smuggled into our neighborhoods. When stuff like fentanyl, where a tiny, tiny, tiny speck of it can kill someone, when enough of it's brought in over the, to when it's enough of it's brought in over the border to kill thousands of people, you don't want me to think that that's a national emergency. So that would be interesting. I would like. I'm interested to see where this goes. If he does actually do that, it does open up a lot of options for him, of what they can do and how they can kind of respond to the Mexican cartels if he labels them as a foreign domestic or a foreign terrorist organization. But we'll keep an eye on it. In other news going on in the nation before we get back into the California news, uh, Robert Francis O'Rourke running for president. Congratulations. I think his campaign will be over long before it even gets started. A man of white privilege, a white man, white straight male of privilege trying to butt his way into a, a diverse group in the Democratic Party. Good luck with that. Because as long as you're a white male, straight white male with privilege and you're trying to hold down or stop minorities from becoming president, then you're the bad guy. Sorry, Robert Francis O'Rourke. It looks like you're probably going to be out faster than you think. It'll be interesting to see. I like that the fact that they keep getting in and in. The fact that he lied about it two months ago and said he's not going to run for president. It's unequivocally out. He's not going to run for president. Then he turns around and says, yeah, I'm going to run for president. His hands, the creepy hands, and it turns out 
he was part of some weird hacker group. Maybe he hacked the election. Who knows? Just more fodder. It's just more funny fodder at this point. And I think it's just going to be an absolute circus watching the Democratic primaries. I can't wait. Uh, creepy porn lawyer Michael Avenatti, California attorney. He dropped Stormy Daniels as a client. Probably because that whole story went away and the Golden Goose has stopped laying her golden eggs. I'd argue it's probably also because he's facing bankruptcy and uh, he's facing a restructuring bankruptcy. He's not going out of business. He's facing a restructuring bankruptcy. He probably uh, he owes millions of dollars in back rent um, to his wife. Uh, he's just so far in debt. But, you know, he, he went for it. He went for it on the whole Stormy Daniels thing. It didn't quite work out for him. Not going to get really into the, the celebrities caught in the college scheme. I always thought that maybe I was wrong. I always just assume rich kids just pay to get into college whether they deserve it or not. I went to a private boarding school on the East Coast uh, for high school. And I'd always just assume the people who were the wealthiest were not the best students who ever got into that school um, because they could pay full boat. And it was always kind of evident the people who had the most money were usually the worst students. They they continually were out at parties. They were uh, missing class. They didn't really care. They just, They were kind of like, you know, C, B students. They weren't that great. Um, but because their parents paid for them to get in, their parents usually donated a building or something or some sort of, uh, big donation, they got in. So I, I, maybe I had incorrectly assumed since my high school days that rich people always just pay to get their kids into the school that they want to. Um, I don't know. Let me know. You can contact me. And speaking of letting me know, you can contact me at California Underground at protonmail.com. Also, if you'd like to be on the show, I just found this new feature out. If you go to our Anchor page, anchor.fm slash California Underground, you can leave an audio message. And an audio message I can download almost like a call. If you want to call into the show, you can leave like a message, an audio message. Um, We can play it here on the show, almost like a live radio show. So if you want to leave an, an audio message, quote, unquote, call into the show, you can do that. If you want to write in, you don't like being recorded, California Underground at ProtonMail.com. You can bring up an issue. Say, hey, I'd like you to talk about this, or I have a viewpoint. Maybe you could talk about it. Maybe, we, maybe you disagree with me. Maybe you think something I said was wrong. That's fine. I do the show live. I try to keep it as raw as possible and not get bogged down in all the statistics. Uh, so that's basically it for the national news. Now on to the California news. I just got an email this week, Jessica Patterson, who you know is the new California GOP chairwoman, sent out her first email. Um, of course, as you know from my one previous podcast, I'm not happy the fact that Jessica Patterson, who is a swamp creature, has actually won uh, in California. I doubt it's going to change anything. It's sort of what the impetus of my my article about can Dino save uh, California? But she sent out an email. If you're a Republican or you have it, if you're signed up, you probably got it. But if not, I'm going to read it to you right now. It says, "Dear Philip." My name is Jessica Patterson, and it's an honor to be elected by delegates to lead the California Republican Party. I look forward to working with you to take the fight to Democrats and replace them with strong conservative leaders. It's no secret that we have our work cut out for us, but we're up for the challenge. To win, we need to face facts and take action. 
I've never been one to sugarcoat the truth, and I hope you appreciate my candor. Despite our best efforts, the anti-Republican narrative dishonestly pushed by liberals and reported in the mainstream media helped create Democratic supermajorities in our state Senate and Assembly. Today, Gavin Newsom will preside over the most liberal legislative session that California families, taxpayers, and small businesses have ever been forced to endure. But our Republican legislators aren't conceding anything and are prepared to fight back. So when I tell you California Republicans can't begin the rebuilding process without you, I hope you'll realize that your decision to join our California Republican comeback team really does the matter. Or really does matter. As chairwoman, I will build a strong statewide team to help recruit, train, support, and elect candidates for local, state, and federal offices. Together, we can stop Gavin Newsom, Nancy Pelosi, and those who blindly follow their unaffordable and unsustainable agenda. Now it's not the time to give up. It's time to fight even harder for common-sense conservative ideals. The next two years will be defined by one simple question. Has Sacramento been listening to you? If not, I hope to see your name added to our California Republican comeback team. Thanks for standing with us, Jessica Patterson. And then she says again, join the California Republican comeback team. And if that wasn't just a whole bunch of stereotypical stereotypical sort of rundown motifs in that email it was so uninspiring i mean you could take that out and replace anybody i mean i've seen this email a thousand times by so many different people it offers absolutely no plan it, it offers nothing in the way of how they're going to go about this. It's the same old, same old over and over again. Like, let's take this for example. She blames the anti-Republican narrative dishonestly, pushed the blah, 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 pushed it and helped create. Now, I would argue that they, they didn't create the Democratic supermajorities in our state. So like, don't blame the mainstream media. Everyone knows that the mainstream media is full of garbage anyway. Do you think that people are going to say, do you think President Trump sat there and said, well, I lost because of the the mainstream media? No, President Trump won despite the mainstream media because he had policies that people liked and people were going to support him for. She's already blaming the mainstream media as if it's the big boogeyman. Yeah, the mainstream media doesn't like conservative values. It doesn't like anything right of far left anymore. So you're going to sit here and blame the, the, the media. Okay, strike number one is the fact that you're blaming somebody else. Why don't you do a little soul searching and look in the mirror about the fact that the California GOP has been full of feckless losers for how many years and that they continually sell out to the consultant class. Oh, you, you should know about the consultant class because you're part of it and you grew up in it. And that's probably who pushed you to power. Because the more that people like you who are an insider can get access to the consultants and the money and it keeps flowing and everybody gets rich and everybody has a grand old time because everybody makes money as a California Republican as long as you're the party of the loser. So that's strike one. Don't blame the media. And then she comes up with this California Republican comeback team, which you click on. I checked it out. You sign up. You put your name there. I don't know. You volunteer something. I'm sure you'll get letters. Well, send us money. 
Which for me, I'm not going to send the California GOP money because what do they spend it on? No one's inspiring me. This this email's not inspiring me to run out and give them money. What do you think they're going to change between now and Jim Brulte? Probably nothing. It's going to be the same old, same old. We've seen more seats lost because of Jessica Patterson and Jim Brulte and people like that. But they want to. Well, they want you to believe that now. Well, now all of a sudden, now we're serious. Now we're serious, and we're gonna get down to work. We're really gonna fight back against the Democrats and the far leftists in California. But by the way, give us fifty dollars. So this California Republican comeback team is probably more like a California Republican life support team because that's what it is right now. She doesn't understand that only 25% of the voters in California actually identify as Republican, with almost 50% of them identifying as Democrats, the other 25 being independent. That's out of registered voters. So unless you figure out how to turn those independents into Republicans, which I don't think you're going to do, you're not really changing much. So that's strike two, this whole California Republican comeback team. Just a stupid name. As chairwoman, I will build a strong statewide team to help recruit, train, and support elected officials for locals. Now, this is the stuff that Travis Allen called you out for. Travis Allen called you out for the fact that millions of dollars came through the, the California GOP, but only hundreds of thousands of dollars actually made it down to the candidates, and the rest went off to people like you and the consultants. So now you're going to build a strong statewide team to help recruit, train, support, and elect candidates of local. I, I said this a couple of weeks ago. You got to fight every single battle. You got to make it hard, but you're not raising any money. You're not an inspiring person right now. You're not inspiring me with this email or this California Republican comeback team, that's for sure. We needed a fighter. We needed a street fighter, someone who was going to get down in the mud and just Take it to the Democrats and take it to the far left here in California. Even if all of his policies are not completely, completely appetizing. If they're too conservative for you, if you're more of a moderate, you need a fighter. You need someone who's going to go in there and fight. And she finished it out. I was trying to fight for anyone hard for conservative ideals. Has Sacramento been listening to you? No, Sacramento hasn't been listening to us. I'm going to get to that in a minute. Gavin Newsom hasn't been listening to us. He hasn't been listening to the will of the voters. That's for damn sure. So that's Jessica Patterson. Jessica Patterson, congratulations on your first email. I'm sure there'll be more rousing emails to come in the near future about how she has come up with some sort of, uh, I don't know, California comeback, California life support team, California, holy crap, we're going down the tubes team. All right, now I want to get into the big sticky of everything that I've been teasing all episode. What's going on with Gavin Newsom? And Gavin Newsom, as you may have known, he plans to sign an executive order. Uh, in this article, I want to read some of it from townhall.com. It's called Gavin Newsom plans to sign an executive order on an issue California voters turned down twice before. California Gavin Newsom has been a star in the Democratic Party. His great hair, gorgeous smile, and progressive promises have made him a governor Democrats love to tout. 
After all, he has become one of the leading voices of opposing Donald Trump, President Donald Trump's immigration policies, an outspoken supporter of gun control measures, and a fearless advocate for making climate change a policy priority. He sounds like a Democrat's dream. Doesn't he? He may have put a nail in the coffin with his decision to sign an executive order on Wednesday that would put a halt to the death penalty while he's governor. Newsom's reason for the executive order? He believes capital punishment is discriminatory, unjust, and inconsistent with our bedrock values. I do not believe that a civilized society can claim to be a leader in the world as long as its government continues to sanction the premeditated and discriminatory execution of its people. Newsom said in a statement expected to be delivered on Wednesday, this past Wednesday. In short, the death penalty is inconsistent with our bedrock values and strikes at the very heart of what it means to be a Californian. Actually, it's this upcoming Wednesday. Our death penalty system has been, by any measure, a failure, Newsom explained. It has discriminated against defendants who are mentally ill, black or brown, of course he throws in the race card there, or can't afford expensive legal representation. It has provided no public safety benefit or value as a deterrent and has wasted billions of taxpayer dollars. According to the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation death row list, 737 inmates are now being granted, are being granted, grammatically incorrect there, good editing on town hall's part, are being granted temporary reprieves through his executive order, which is the largest in the nation. The order will also immediately close San Quentin State Prison's execution chamber, put an end to the state's continued efforts to find a constitutional method for legal lethal injection, the Los Angeles Times reported. Newsom's executive order completely goes against voters' wishes throughout the state. Over the last five years, two different attempts have been made to repeal the death penalty, but both times voters objected. The other issue in play is the constitutionality of the governor's executive order. Capital punishment is considered a legal penalty in the state of California. The California State Supreme Court initially outlawed the death penalty in People v. Anderson in 1972. Shortly thereafter, voters amended the state constitution to make the death penalty legal. Some are calling Newsom's decision an abuse of power from the L.A. Times. Kent Schreidegger, Schreidegger? legal director of the pro-death penalty criminal justice legal foundation called Newsom's actions quote an abuse of power unquote although Newsom has the constitutional authority to grant reprieves to condemned inmates he does not have the power to order the state department of corrections or rehabilitation to shutter the death chamber or halt efforts to establish a lethal injection protocol Scheidegger said California law requires corrections officials to maintain the ability to carry out executions he added Quote, he's following in the footsteps of other governors who have abused their power because they were frustrated by a law that they just personally disagreed with. With 24 inmates on death row who have exhausted their appeals, Newsom in February said he feared California could potentially, quote, execute more prisoners than any other state in modern history, unquote, if no action was taken. California has executed 13 people since the U.S. Supreme Court reinstated the death penalty in 1976. During that same time, 79 death row inmates have died of natural causes and 26 have died by suicide, according to the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. At least one conservative group applauded Newsom's efforts. As conservatives, we applaud Governor Newsom's decision because the death penalty violates our beliefs in limited government, fiscal responsibility, and the value of life is rife with errors and racial bias. Hannah Cox, national manager of conservatives concerned about the death penalty, said in a statement. 
the number of men and women on death row who suffer from severe mental illness or impairment is shocking. Capital punishment is a failure and big government at its worst, wasting millions of dollars that could be used to solve cold cases and to make communities safer. So, why does this tie into what's going on with President Trump right now? Simply put, because you have an issue where President Trump, who is being lambasted for overreachings and executive power, and it's not constitutionally approved, or all these arguments that all of a sudden just popped out of nowhere. Now all of a sudden you have leftists saying, oh, he's a dictator, it's an imperial presidency, and blah, 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 and this is awful, and he's just being a dictator, and isn't that mean, and... They all have this issue with President Trump, even though it's been congressionally proved what he's doing is actually what he can do. Meanwhile, as the article said, you have the Democratic, uh, one of their Democratic stars, their heroes, is doing something that is actually unconstitutional in the state of California. Now, this is a little civics lesson, and I, I know many of you who are listening to this are smart enough to understand this. But this is something that if you're really interested in what's going on in your state when it comes to state level politics, you have to sit down and glance. I'm not saying remember. I'm not saying take a whole class on it, because believe me, I actually took two semesters of con law and law school. Doesn't mean I know the whole Constitution in and out. You know, the most important parts, you know, the most operative parts, the parts that really you kind of come into contact with day in and day out. Take a look at your state constitution. Because, yes, you do. Everyone knows that you got the supremacy clause, which says that if government has a law on the books, the federal law, it does trump what's going on in the state. But there, I don't want to get too much into con law. All right, I'll do it just real quick. I'll see. It. I mean, con law was one of my favorite subjects in law school. So when the federal government passes a law and it, it, it kind of encompasses a whole area and its intent is to encompass the whole area, it proceeds or overrides state law. Anything outside of that is what the state can do. Now, a state has to work under its state constitution. Every state has a constitution. They're all sort of loosely based on our constitution. If you read the California constitution, there are some things in there that, yes, there's no right to bear arms. There's nothing like that. I mean, there's a huge section about criminal justice. They are very heavy on the criminal justice. Um, They're also big on free speech. Um, They afforded more rights to people uh, in the media. So state constitutions, you kind of have to look at them when you have a state law and people rush to say, well, this state law is unconstitutional. Okay, well, do, do you mean it's unconstitutional by the U.S. Constitution or it's unconstitutional based on a state constitution. There's a big difference. What we have here is an issue that does not really involve the federal government. This is not U.S. constitution unconstitutional. This is state unconstitutional. And that's because when it comes to amending or making a radical change to the constitution, it has to go to the voters. There's an actual process. There's an article amending and revising the Constitution in the state, in the California state constitution, usually known as proposition. So when you go to vote and you look at the proposition, you'll usually see the language or the intent is to, blah, 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 it's here to amend the, the California constitution to read as blah, 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 right? 
That's what propositions are. And that's because that's what's set out in the California Constitution. Article, let's see, what is this? I can never remember this. Uh, 18 is a many are revising the Constitution. And that's where it gets the power to amend the Constitution. And whenever there's an amendment or a revision of the Constitution, amendments are actually more serious than revisions. That's why amendments need to go to the people. So there's a number of ways to do it. Section 1, the legislature by roll call entered into the journal two-thirds of the membership of each house concurring may propose an amendment or revision of the Constitution and in the same manner may amend or withdraw its proposal. Each amendment shall be so prepared and submitted that it can be voted on separately. Uh, section two, the legislature by roll call vet, vote entered in the journal. Two members of the house, blah, 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 okay, so that's not what we're looking for. Section three, the electors may amend the constitution by initiative. Section four, a proposed amendment or revision shall be submitted to the electors. And if approved by a majority of the votes cast thereon takes effect on the fifth day after the secretary of state files the statement of the vote in which the measure is voted on, but the measure may provide, uh, it comes operative. And then that was changed. So the most popular way that we all know how we amend the California Constitution is there are propositions. The legislature can do it, but they have to go through the process laid out in Section 1 and Section 2. Section 3 and Section 4 are the processes that we're most familiar with. Now, an amendment, as I said before, or a revision. An amendment is a more drastic change in the California Constitution. A revision is a little tiny revision. Okay, so maybe it's not a huge thing. Maybe we're not striking a whole part of the Constitution. Maybe we're not striking a whole part of somebody's rights. We're just revising, uh, maybe we change the word from this to this. An amendment is much bigger than that. Okay? Amendments are obviously, they go into the Constitution. They're not, that's part of the California Constitution. It's much easier, obviously, in a state than it is in the whole country to amend the Constitution and add these amendments and make it part of the Constitution. And then from there on out, once it's an amendment in the California Constitution, it reigns supreme because the California Constitution, just like the U.S. Constitution, is the supreme law of California. So as we all know, it's the propositions that change or amend it. The difference here is we have Gavin Newsom who is going through this, the completely illegitimate and unconstitutional, and I say this in the unconstitutional California Constitution way, unconstitutional way. Because if he's going to change the uh, Constitution, and let me just say California Proposition 17 was the proposition that amended the Constitution. It was originally proposed and voted on and passed in 1972. It was approved by 67.5% of the vote. And it stated, amends California, Prop 17, amends California Constitution to provide that all state statutes in effect 19, uh, February 17th to 1972 requiring, authorizing, imposing, or related to death penalty are in full force and effect subject to legislative amendment or repeal by statute initiative or referendum in that death penalty provided for those for under those state statutes shall not be deemed to be or constitute infliction of cruel or unusual punishments, meaning within the meaning of California Constitution, Article 1, Section 6, nor shall such punishment for such offenses be deemed to contravene any other provision of California Constitution. 
Notice what the proposition said. It said it can be changed to a legislative amendment or repeal by statute, initiative or referendum. An initiative is a proposition or a referendum. Nowhere in the proposition, which is now an amendment in the California Constitution, does it say that the governor can just go in and change his mind. And that's what Gavin Newsom's doing. He's going in there and saying, well, I don't like this. It's my own personal policy. I'm going to stop it through executive order. Nowhere in Prop 17 does it say you can do that. If you want to amend the Constitution and you want to get rid of it, you're going to have to go through the process. And and as little as three years ago, they tried to repeal Prop 17. They've been trying to repeal Prop 17. They've done it twice, but it was voted down. And in fact, they've actually voted, California voters have voted to streamline the process to make it more efficient. So now you have Gavin Newsom, who we all knew coming into this, he was going to be someone who was going to lead just like his idol, President Barack Obama. He was going to lead, he was going to run this state with a phone and a pen if he had to, which is kind of crazy because he has a supermajority in the legislature. He doesn't have to do this. But again, Gavin Newsom doesn't seem like the kind of guy who can be bothered with actual politics and how a constitutional government works. He doesn't really care about the California Constitution, even though it's basically everything's in his favor. He can go to the legislature and propose any policy and his Democrats will probably fall in line and say, absolutely, yeah, sure, you know, whatever you want, you know, Mr. Governor, go right ahead. But he's going to do a lot of this stuff. He's already stated in the campaign that he was going to expand Medi- uh, Medi-Cal to make it a single-payer, to make it single-payer, only by going through the governor's mansion. So this is just a harbinger of things to come when it comes to Gavin Newsom. He's already going out. He's stomping all over the California Constitution. He does not care about the will of the voters. And I'm sure there are a lot of people who voted for this proposition that were also Democrats, too. So people who voted for this to support it for the death penalty, and now they have the person they voted for, is turning around and going, uh, uh, no, change my mind. I'm just going to do the, do away with this through executive order. This is one issue why I wish there was some sort of big public law firm going on here in California that we had something like a judicial washer, something like that. That's what this state needs. It needs people to go out there and file lawsuits against Gavin Newsom and say, look, Gavin Newsom, what you're doing is unconstitutional. You have Proposition 17. This is the language in Prop 17. This is how you repeal it. If you want to, you cannot repeal it simply because you don't like it through executive order. There is a process in place. The proposition states this is how you do it. You can go back and look at how these other devices work. You're not listening. You're not abiding by this. But of course he's going to be given shelter. He's going to be given cover by a a Democratic supermajority who doesn't care. If he wants to do it, let him do it. But that's why I think we need some sort of public firm. Somebody who's going to fight back and say, this is unconstitutional. To just file the lawsuit against him and say, no, you can't do this because you're you're overextending your rights. Now, how does this tie into what's going on at the national level? 
like I said, it, it ties in because people are turning a blind eye to the fact that Gavin Newsom is doing something that is completely unconstitutional. The language is there. Read it for yourself. Go to Prop 17. Go to Article 18. Read those two measures. and Read, read those two pieces together. Does it say anywhere that you can repeal it as a governor? It doesn't say anywhere you can repeal it unilaterally as a governor. That's the constitutional argument. It took me all of five minutes to go and look this up. But we don't have anybody who's going to do that. We need people who are going to get behind this. People who are going to support any sort of lawfare, pushing back against them, saying... We have to start looking at the California Constitution. There has to be more people who are up on the California Constitution, who can read it, who can say this is unconstitutional. You're therefore infringing on our rights as voters. You're going past what you're supposed to be doing. But meanwhile, you have the the far left media who don't care about pointing out what's going on on the left. They're going out killing President Trump over exercising something that he was congressionally approved to do, that he has power to do. You people like Nancy Pelosi, Gavin Newsom's good family buddy. She's out there saying, this is an abuse of power, this is an overextension of power, he's becoming a dictator. Of course, she says it like she's having a, having a mild stroke. So, this is an abuse of power. President President Bush, I mean President Trump, cannot go ahead and do this. So, this is just shows you the hypocrisy. So, when any leftist now, if you're here in California and you and you encounter any leftist who says, "Oh, what President Trump is doing is unconstitutional. It's an overreach. He's becoming an imperial president," then say, turn around and say to them. Okay, well then, how is it any different? Okay, so if you think that's unconstitutional, then you must think what Gavin Newsom's doing is unconstitutional when it comes to the death penalty. If they disagree with you, you can tell them, look up Article 18 in the California Constitution on how to amend the Constitution, and look up Prop 17, which was passed in 1972, upholding the death penalty. Tell them to go look those up and tell them, Ask them, is there anywhere in the Constitution that says that Gavin Newsom can do what he's doing? And you might have an NPC breakdown that they might not compute what you're talking about. Because they're going to look at it and say, but Gavin Newsom is a Democratic hero. And an orange man bad and President Trump. But this is just more, this is, I'm telling you, if you, if people are going to run around and run their mouth about what President Trump is doing is unconstitutional, you can clearly push back on them and say, if, you, if they live here in California and they voted for Gavin Newsom, you can turn around and say, okay, well then why is Gavin Newsom getting away with this? Either they're going to have to admit that it's unconstitutional and what he's doing is, is an overreach of power. And then say, okay, if you admit that this is an overreach of power, how come no one's talking about this? Or they're just going to bury their heads in the same way. Say, oh, it's different because Gavin Newsom is this fantastic Democratic hero and he's going to save California. And we love Gavin Newsom. 
So there's your, your little, little lesson on California constitutional law today and how it ties in with what's going on on the national level. And I want to do more of that stuff. I want, to, I want to talk about this stuff. I want to talk about what's going on in the California Constitution. I personally like to learn about it more just because it is where we get our laws from and how California is run. A lot of interesting stuff in there. A lot of interesting stuff in there. I'm not telling you to run out and read it. I'm not saying don't. It's not, it, it's not exhilarating bedtime reading, that's for sure. But it's something that I think California citizens who want to learn how to change what's going on here in California have to learn what the California Constitution says. So with that, we're going to sign off today. I know there's so much I wanted to talk about today, especially after being off for a week. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this, make sure you subscribe. Make sure you like it. Make sure you spread the word. Make sure you tell your friends about it. Make sure you say, hey, it's this podcast. This guy's talking about California politics. He's doing a pretty good job, and I like him. So go out there and listen to him. Um, you can check us out, californiaunderground.wordpress.com. I like to post articles and blogs talking about this stuff, stuff that I couldn't get into in the podcast. I like to expound on my thoughts out there as well. And again, like I said, if you want to let me know any thoughts Maybe you just want to say, hey, I like the show, or you want to send in a question, something to talk about, go to California Underground or send your email to californiaunderground at protonmail.com. You can also leave an audio message for me, like kind of calling into the show by going to anchor.fm slash forward slash California Underground. We also have social media, Instagram, very simply, you guessed it, California Underground. With that, thanks again for listening, everybody. We'll see you on the next one. Thank you for listening to another episode of California Underground. If you like what you heard, remember to subscribe, like, and review it. And follow California Underground on social media for updates as to when new episodes are available. 